Hello and welcome to another episode of Friday Formula, a weekly motorsport podcast where this week we're hoping that our cutting edge equipment won't fail spectacularly five minutes before the end. I'm Owen Bellwood and as always I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you doing this week, Will? Hello, I'm I'm good. I have a, I have a question for you that has been bugging me since Sunday's race. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you can help me out a little bit, maybe give me some insight. Do you think his wife calls him Crofty or David? Because I can't imagine anyone calling him David. <laughs> I mean, she might call him Dave. Oh, no, I hope not. That's, that sends a shiver down my spine. Oh. Dave. Dave on comms. Surely not Crofty. Who knows? He is definitely called Crofty a lot more than he's called David. They don't even introduce him as like David Croft. He's just, it's Crofty. Yeah, Crofty in the comms box. I had to look up if his name was definitely David because it didn't sound right when I said it out loud. It's, it's really been puzzling me, but I think he did a great job on Sunday, given the craziness of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which I'm going to say we kind of predicted last week. Yeah, we did. Well, we predicted madness. We were not very good at predicting the winner, though. No, but to be fair, it was mad. And so it was even more mad than we were imagining. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did both predict that Valtteri Bottas would win the race. And uh, he he didn't, is the polite way to put it. Yeah, that is, that's, that's more than polite. But well, do you want to kick us off then with the story of the weekend and we can take our our way through it and see how much Valtteri Bottas's weekend crops up in our conversation. So, Formula One returned to the streets of Baku at the, the weekend just gone after taking a year off. And uh, as we alluded to in last week's episode, it is usually quite a spicy race with a fair bit of action. And this weekend did not disappoint. The um, race kicked off on Sunday with Charles Leclerc taking... His second successive pole position. How excited were you to see him at the front again? Buzzing. It's, it's great, isn't it? Like it now. Kind of. I'm kind of glad that he didn't keep that pole in Monaco because he might have just got swallowed up as he did eventually in Azerbaijan. But there's definitely some pace there. I think some drivers in Q3 might save themselves for that final run. Don't because you don't know when Yuki Tsunoda might find himself in the wall. <laughs> you know, you need to really bank a safe lap, a quick lap, rather than a safe lap, sorry, in that first run. And that's what Charles has done pretty consistently. Well, that was kind of the message throughout qualifying, wasn't it? Because we had, was it four red flags in the end yeah. across all three qualifying sessions? Which is not something I've ever seen before. No, it's rec- record equaling, I think, um, with Hungary a few years ago. Yeah, it was. it was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? I was... I was almost kind of halfway through the race wondering where are all the drivers from yesterday because there's, you know, nowhere near and they're actually keeping it on the track. No, no, exactly. Uh, but because of because of the madness, it meant that we had like Lance Stroll starting at the back. He was joined by Antonio Giovinazzi on the, the last row. So we had a few drivers out of position. And then when the race kicked off, have you seen the... Um, Formula One's roundup of the top onboards. I, I skimmed through it earlier, yeah. Yeah, there's some nice shots of people like Lance uh, and Antonio dicing through the pack on the open lap. Um, so they had a great start. 
Unfortunately, despite starting on pole, Charles Leclerc, his opening few laps weren't quite as successful, were they? No, but better than uh, Carlos Sainz, his teammate, who had a bit of a, a moment at the same place he had a moment in qualifying, I think, didn't he? Where, no, sorry, in qualifying it was like turn three or four, and in the race it was down near turn 12, wasn't it, just before the Old Town section. Didn't seem to be as on it as he has been in, in previous weekends, especially, let's say, Monaco, where he got on the podium, is he? Yeah, he definitely seemed to be a little bit spooked, maybe, just kind of breaking a bit off, and he had quite a few lockups throughout the whole race, really, which was a little bit of a change in fortunes for the cards we've seen recently. Yeah, Charles had a big lockup after the restart as well, and if only they had some kind of system that heated the tyres at the front through the brakes, that that would be... <laughs> that could really save their fortunes. <laughs> So yeah, in the first few laps of the race, uh, Lewis did manage to make it past Charles, and then he was closely followed by the two Red Bulls of Max and Sergio Perez, after they both made it past Charles as well. And everything sort of looked as if it was slotting into place for the kind of result and format that we're used to, but then things started to spice up a bit when Lewis went into the pits on lap 11 or lap 12 I think mm-hmm. it was uh, so he was in the box and then Pierre Gasly came in just after so he got held for an extra sort of one or two seconds which then after everyone had done their pit stops it meant that Lewis was behind Max and Perez so we were looking if everything stayed as it was we were looking at the first Red Bull 1-2 there was even a chance we've spoken about um, Perez's tyre management this season already where he's done you know, godly stints on certain tyres. Uh, and he did the same and could have even jumped Max in the pits uh, had it not been for a slow, an uncharacteristic slow stop from the Red Bull team, um, which makes you wonder if that was, you know, fate or otherwise. But he did start into second and managed to keep Lewis behind him for a long time, a really long time. He did a really good job. Yeah, I was very impressed by Sergio this weekend. He did exactly what was needed. He got up, he qualified in lap six, I think it was, and within the first few laps, he passed everyone to get into that rear gunner position to hold the fort for anything that might come up against Max, and he meant that they got that defence and they could have played different strategies if and when they needed to. And you have to wonder if there was a benefit for Perez to Charles starting on pole because it meant that Max and Lewis were going to be going a little bit slower than they might have done if they had clear air in front of them. And kind of as they were passing Charles, Perez was managing to catch up to them. So maybe a little bit of fortune there. But after we'd seen the slight misfortune in Lewis's pit stop, it kind of, the, the race sort of slowed a bit. And I ended up watching it a bit later than it was on. And I'd had a few people messaging me saying, it's amazing. So then for sort of that 15 or so laps where not what was happening, I was just like, what's so far on about? Why, <laughs> why has it got this reputation of the best race? You've been absolutely catfished. So, oh, I could have gone out for breakfast at this rate. <laughs> but aren't um, you glad you didn't? Exactly. Because <laughs> on lap 31, all hell broke loose and just... It was anyone's game. Well, 
when Lance Stroll's out of the game, who knows what could happen. So, yeah, Lance Stroll had a tyre failure. Bashed into the wall. I think his catchphrase is fast becoming, um, I got a puncture. He seems to always come across with that little radio. He had the same in Magello. He's been unlucky because he's been on the receiving end of these uh, tyre blowouts more than anyone else, it seems. What do you think, then? Do you think this was... Pirelli's tyres at fault, the compounds, or do you think it was what their theory is, um, debris on the track? Yeah, I'm really not sure, because if it was just that one, then you could have been like, oh yeah, sure, there could have been a bit of debris, because the commentary team was saying quite a lot over the weekend, but because it was so windy, as well as like race debris, stuff was blowing onto the circuits and there'd been like a few branches and like bits of rubbish and things like that. So you could sort of see that hitting a branch might damage the integrity of the tyre. So if it had been the case that it was just him that it happened to, then I kind of maybe would have come down on Pirelli's side and been like, oh yeah, maybe. But the fact that it was on the fastest bit of the circuit, the fastest 36% of the circuit, and that it was there hadn't really been any incidents in that area up to that point for there to be a sharp bit of carbon fibre or something waiting to poke a hole in his tyre. It does make it seem a little bit more like it's a compound failure rather than anything on his part. Well, they were talking at the beginning of the race. I think um, at turn 14, Charles cut the corner to avoid a branch an overhanging tree had like dropped a branch um so there were some like extenuating factors that could have played the part yeah there weren't any crashes so it was unlikely to be anything off a car but for them to have no inclination you know that there's so much data that the tires can get like hark back to Sakir last year where george russell was still able to bomb it round but the team told him you've got a puncture you've got to come in and he didn't even realize so to go from not to 100 like that, no warning, puts me on the side that, I don't know it's tricky because he wasn't the only person it happened to, but maybe lightning struck twice? I don't know why I'm I'm coming out to defend Pirelli, but it, it could have been the case. I know people aren't going to trust him that much, but that it could have been debris or something that, and not yeah. tyre wear. It could also have been... Yeah, like it could have been a whole range of different things. It could have been debris, could have been an issue with the design of the tyre, which is more more of a serious problem. But then it could even just have been like a little manufacturing defect in that tyre itself that then kind of led to a bit of weakness. Yeah. On ESPN, the official line from Pirelli's Mario Isla was that the preliminary investigation showed that it's probably due to an external factor or debris. Uh, I don't want to jump to a conclusion now as the plan is to make a thorough investigation and make a report to the team and FIA that will hopefully be ready for Paul Ricard. So it's good that they are taking it really seriously and they're going to look into finding out what happened. But just coming back to like the crash itself, that was quite a scary mm. impact. It was very high speed and Lance just seemed to sort of get caught up in this big cloud of dust and debris so you can really see what happened for a little while and it's been like oh yeah where did that come from yeah it was scary because even when he did hit the wall it didn't seem like he lost very much momentum 
And I think the scariest thing to him was he was just lying in the middle of the track. He he asked for a red flag to be thrown. And to be honest, I'm a little bit annoyed at the... Uh, I thought the stewarding this weekend was poor because you see a crash like that and immediately you throw a safety car. But it just seemed to take too long to do these things. I was quite surprised that it wasn't red flag yeah. as well because it looked like from his crash that ended up with bits of car all over that area of the circuit and he was right in front of the pit lane so there was no way for with other crashes where we've seen the cars come through the pit lane to avoid the debris there was no way of doing that with this and i kind of expected the race to be paused but i guess for that to happen they have to get to the pit lane and he's in the way of the pit lane so yeah because he the pit lane was closed wasn't it but they could have lined up on the grid and then just kind of gone round back, you know, when it was safe going to the pit lane. I'm sure there were plenty of things they could have done. But, I mean, trusting the marshals, they probably got everything off the road in time. But there could have been something that ended up swiping Max Verstappen's tyre later in the race. And actually Lewis Hamilton's, because he ended up... He had a cut in his tyre at the end of the race. As well as during the red flag period, he had um, an indent in his front wing. So... Yeah, they looked at replacing it. I don't know why they didn't, but there was like a kind of a cut in the carbon fibre. So there was obviously stuff flying about during the race. So it's every possibility that it could have been something that the cars just rolled over. Yeah, and that is, again, the other advantage of them throwing out red flag in that sort of situation, because they can properly check rather than having to check in between 20 cars yeah. flying past them. You've got that time to do a proper sweep, make sure there's nothing left on the track and make sure that the circuit is then as safe as possible for racing to get going again. Even be able to pick up every flying sandwich bag that might be on the track. Yeah, don't want to get back <laughs> to the brakes again. Well, the safety car did stay out rather than, getting red, rather than the race getting red flagged, uh, and it came back in at lap 35, and that restart kind of... I was expecting a lot of madness, and it was quite safe and secure, apart from Lance Stroll's teammate, Sebastian Vettel, who had a storming restart. He started, restarted in sixth and managed to get up to fourth within seemingly like two or three corners. It was fantastic. It was. Seb wasn't very happy with his 11th place qualifying and kind of said in the pen afterwards, oh yeah, everyone always says you get the free choice of tyres, but no, 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 like, I don't care, I want to be in the top 10. Boy, is he glad he's not in the top 10, because the fact that he had such fresher tyres than everyone else really played to his advantage on that restart, and also the following restart, which I guess we'll come to later. But yeah, that tyre advantage was so apparent in that in that opening lap. Yeah, and I think... It was quite interesting that this was definitely the turning point where Seb became the focus of the race. How high can he finish? There was a point, because of the tyres he was on, that he uh, was leading the race when everyone else had pitted and he was going longer on these tyres, he was on hards and everyone else was getting rid of their softs. And part of you is like, you know, he's got a pit, like... And then another part of you is like, what if it's red flagged? Like, what if we restart the race again, he changes his tyres and he's on pole? That's incredible. Yeah. The other little tussle that I noted down at the restart was with Valtteri Bottas and George Russell. 
why is this the rivalry that we're seeing? Bottas had dropped back to 14 by this point, and George was within a second of him, I think, at one point, and was right on his tail. And we were just getting flashbacks. Yeah. Don't crash again. <laughs> I I don't understand why, because they ran Valtteri with a really high drag rear wing, didn't they? Yeah, they were, the two Mercedes were running with different setups, and it just why? didn't seem to work for Valtteri at all. The rumour, I guess, was that it was so that Valtteri could punch a hole in the air for Lewis, because I never saw Lewis leading Valtteri in qualifying. It was always no. Valtteri making the slipstream for Lewis. So maybe it's something to do with that, but that that would really annoy me if I was if I was Valtteri. Yeah, because it's just like basically giving up on his hopes and being like, "You're purely here to help Lewis." Yeah, to be fair, he's the only person that doesn't believe that. Yeah, it's never been that blatant, I don't think either. There was his second rest. Well, well, the the red flag restart as a good video where he loses four positions in six corners. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. Were there even four cars behind him at the restart? Yes, a couple of alphas. I think Alonso, maybe. I, I can't remember. But we're not at the uh, we're not at the restart just yet. Uh, the safety car came in at lap thirty-five. We had a few laps of nice, nice tussles, and by, but by this point, Max and Sergio were just owning the front. They've got it pinned down. It was theirs to win. Well, it was Red Bull's to win. But then, on lap 46, we had the biggest upset of the race. Well, you're rubbing your hands there. Do you want to talk us through what happened? He crashed. (laughs) Yeah, well, Max was like six, eight seconds in front of Sergio in second. And uh, he crashed. His his left rear tyre blew up, just like Lance's did. And he was... Lucky to veer to the right-hand side from not the left towards the pit lane. I had a big old shunt and wasn't very happy about it. No, it was a little bit further down the straight. So I, I've not seen um, the speed, but his looked a lot faster than Lance's crash. In theory, he should have been because he would have just been preparing to break, wouldn't he? But he was... He was lucky to go to the right-hand side because if he had gone to the left, that is where the kind of the wall for the pit lane comes in. So if he had just veered the other way, he would have just lost all momentum in kind of one big hit, and that could have been a lot worse than what it was. Yeah, uh, there was a video Nico Rosberg did just before the race where he was doing a lap on one of the Formula One games, and he said that that is one of the scariest points on the calendar because you just go in 300 kilometers an hour or something and you've just got this pretty much wall head on in front of you that if you make a mistake that's going to be a huge accident when i'm playing the game i often try and get a car to overtake me on the left hand side there so i can do like a little mazapin and try and get them into the wall and bring out a safety car (laughs) and that is why you're not a formula So when Max Max hit the wall, apparently the Red Bull Sporting Director, Jonathan Weekick, did radio the FIA straight away and ask for a red flag. But supposedly this was because they were worried about further tyre failures, because they were thinking that it was 
due to the compound just giving up and there was a few other people on quite old tyres and they didn't want anyone else to not be able to pit for new tyres and their tyres fail, causing further disruption down the line. Yeah, I think it's quite noble of him. He said because they had no warning. But there were also... This is the other argument against it being a Pirelli compound problem. There were p- plenty of other cars that had done longer stints on that tyre, um, including, I think, Sebastian Vettel. And they had no warning. So there's that. The other thing is just before... The lap before this happened, F1 threw up the AWS tyre graphic. Why didn't that tell us anything? Surely we should have known this was coming. Yeah. That graphic, eh? But I do have a question for you. Oh, no. By this point in the race, we've done 46 out of 51 laps, which is equivalent to 90.2% of the race distance. Do you think it was right to red flag and then restart for three laps? Or do you think the race should have been called there and Max should have had the win? No, there's, there's no reason to stop the race. I, th- I think it happens with red flag periods when we talk about rain. So, like, Malaysia 2009, I think, when Jensen Button won a half-points race. That didn't restart because the rain was awful. But there are two constraints to a race. The number of laps or the time of laps. And if you've not got to either of them, then it's kind of the obligation and the duty to get as close as you can to them. And it wasn't unsafe to start, so yeah, I think we should stop all races two laps before the end and start them again. It was great. But what what about the the people that say because it was the tire bursting, and it was not really any mistake of Max after having held on to the lead for forty six laps or whatever it was. It wasn't fair for him to have that win taken away from him through no fault of his own. But that's the thing as well, isn't it? If the red flag comes out they normally count back a lap to get the result to which Max Verstappen was winning so Max Verstappen it's the same situation you have with Charles taking pole in Monaco Max would have crashed and won the race and yeah it's not it might have not been his fault because it's the tyre but what if it was his fault and what if it was a driver error he goes into the wall crashes and you're like oh there's only two laps left let's not start it count back a lap Max is the winner how's that fair he didn't finish the race. Yeah, I guess at that point you've not had a chance to like analyse all the data and figure out what it is that's caused it. So it could, if they're doing this uh, report, it could come out next week that it was to do with Max. It probably wasn't, but you never know. And then if we've given him the win, he then might have to take it away from him. We've got all this extra admin. Well, yeah, and like we say, it might not be a fault of Max, but there could have been drivers on the grid on the track at the time that were just managing their tyres better, and that's why it didn't happen to them. And it'd be very unfair to them to not give them a chance to carry on and finish the race. Why? What, what do you think? Where do you stand on it? I wasn't really sure. Um, I just saw, I think it was an IndyCar driver that I follow on Twitter, um, said that it was unfair and that it should have been called off. I can't remember who it was, but... Um, I was just interested to hear your thoughts. I kind of agree that as long as you don't know, on that day, you don't really know what's caused it. So if other people have managed with the same tyres and not had that issue, then they should get the chance to go for the win. Uh, And also, if it hadn't happened, then 
we wouldn't have got the fantastic two laps that followed. Oh, it was so good. It was so good, wasn't it? So we had we had a few laps under the safety car, and then it was red flagged. So we ended up with a second parade lap, and then two laps of racing. Which was a pretty good argument for sprint racing, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? That's something, we've done our sprint race conversation, and one of the things I don't think we factored in is how much is at stake in so few laps. Like, mm. all the drivers actually have a chance to go for it. Um, like, look at Alonso made up a few places and narrowly missed out. Came, did he come fifth or sixth? Sixth, I think. But that's jumping ahead, because straight off the line, there was there was drama. Yeah, so the, the lights started lighting up and Lewis Hamilton was sat there with there's no other way to put it smoke billowing out of his brakes it looked like too much smoke do you think he questioned it at the time like what the hell's going on here I think we've seen it quite a few times maybe it was just you know things like the sunset and the lighting of this particular grid but I think the system that Mercedes have that is quite common for them to have sitting on the grid um, and something they've kind of had to do because they normally find themselves at the front of the grid where their brakes and tyres go cold very quickly, which is why they've developed this system. But boy, boy, do they need to move the switch. Yeah, so we had lights out, away we go for the second time. <laughs> he didn't say that, actually. Oh, did he not? No. Mm. Which I was... We've had this conversation as well. I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> well, the car started moving again. <laughs> And Lewis did shoot off, got away from the line brilliantly. Perez did a little bit of defending, but it looked like Lewis was in the front and was going to take the corner. But then he just didn't stop, and he just kept going straight on. So had to take, somehow stopped by this point, took a really wide line and then joined at the back with no hope of recovering in like we say just two laps it was mad it's like it's written by a scriptwriter. like you couldn't have written it perfectly the championship leader has just crashed out of the race by no fault of his own Lewis Hamilton is in the lead he's going to make up 25 points on Max who only had a four point lead going into the race that could have been completely championship deciding and he absolutely binned it yeah, so he supposedly knocked this magic switch, which it looked like it just turned his brakes off. I assume it does something else, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> Did you hear, um, I think it was Anthony Davidson explained what the brake magic button does. Uh, I didn't hear that one, and I saw Hazel Southwell on Twitter kind of did a bit of an explainer about how it's, uh, it changes the balance between the regenerative braking and the actual braking in the car something but if you've got a bit more knowledge okay well the way they explained it on the tv was basically it shifts the brake balance from like 56 percent to like 92 percent at the front so they can overheat the brakes which creates that smoke when they're sitting on the grid and it basically heats the tire from the inside rather than just the outside when you're on a parade lap formation lap safety car and keeps the heat in those tires which gives mercedes incredible restarts which is a cool system to have, and that, but that's why 
obviously you don't hit the brakes that hard when you've got that on. You kind of brake quite long and you're not doing the speeds that you'd be doing into turn one at Baku under the under the safety car. So he'd turned it off and then was defending from Perez because Perez kind of came over and flicked the switch back on again. So when he braked, he had like 90% brake balance. The front's just locked up and it's just nowhere to go. Like the car didn't stop. That's interesting. Because he said he did some, there was some radio when he was sat in the car after he was parked in Park Fermi, where he said something about brake magic. And Bono was like, yeah, Lewis said, I thought I turned it off. And Bono said, "Uh, you did, but you flicked it back on again. Uh, It's obviously not heartbreaking, that sounds a bit over the top, but quite kind of crushing for Lewis to have an experience like that. But I also find these sort of moments really interesting because if this hadn't happened, like 90% of Formula One fans would have no idea what brake magic is. And we wouldn't have heard of it. And it'd just be one of these like secreted devices that Mercedes Mercedes has developed. So I quite like it when these things come to light and you can find out about these really creative ways that the teams are yeah. improving themselves. And like Mercedes used to be in the front, maybe not having the temperature in the brakes. So they've come up with this system to get the temperature in the brakes. That's super clever and quite admirable. And it's a bit like DAS as well, isn't it? We knew about DAS because you can physically see the steering wheel move. And it like it makes you think how much we don't see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You kind of need them to make a few extra little weird mistakes so that we can find out a bit more. So I do, I do like it when these little secretive things come to the front. Yeah. But because of Lewis's disaster... That meant we ended up with probably one of the most popular podiums in terms of like fan love. Yeah. Possible, I'd say, because we had Pierre Gasly ended up finishing third, Seb Vettel got promoted up second, and Sergio Perez took the win. And everyone on that podium looked so unbelievably excited. Well, from from the second start, Perez and Vettel had it pretty easy because you know, Perez went off into the distance because he was a lot quicker than the Aston Martin. A byproduct of Seb not making Q3 meant that when everyone moved on to the soft tyres, he was one of the only people that had a new set of soft tyres. So again, a good reason to come into Q2. But Gasly really had to work to fend off Charles. But the fact that he was overtaken and then re-overtook Charles on the same straight... Like, you don't see stuff like that. We, we don't need the 2020 run rules. This is great. Like, it works fine. It works fine in back. <laughs> we just race there forever. Yeah, I was super impressed with the way Pierre just stayed calm and kept focusing and like, yeah, third is mine. I'm having that point. It was, it was great. And it means that he's now finished first, second and third. Yes. Which is excellent. I like, the, I like the symmetry there. And there's a mind, mind-blowing statistic about Sergio Perez. He is the only driver in the hybrid era to win a race with two different teams. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. And you, you kind of find yourself thinking, that's ridiculous, why the hell has that happened? But then 
apart from like Daniel Ricciardo, not many drivers have changed teams in the hybrid era. No, and that's just how dominant the dominant teams have been. Yeah, hopefully, maybe Seb can do it this year. Or Daniel. Yeah, I feel like there's more chance of Seb for some reason. But the McLaren's very racing, so maybe both. Maybe by the end of the year, we'll have three drivers that have two wins. What a season. So, we spoke about the 2017 race last week. Where does the 2021 Azerbaijan Grand Prix compare? Which is better? Oh, 100% 2017. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like, this race was good, but it wasn't as, like, consistently exciting and unpredictable. It had, like, two moments of madness that meant there was about six mad laps. But then those two moments of madness, I think, outweigh anything that happened in 2017, given their significance on the rest of the season. Yeah, that's true. If, like, like Lance Stroll crashing because of a tyre failure is nothing. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It's sad for him, but it's fine. It happening to Max Verstappen six seconds out in the lead, that's huge. Yeah, but then because Lewis also messed up the impact on the championship is kind of nullified that's true but then i would argue that it's just an extra layer because everyone expected him to finish that race at least 18 points in the bag on max and Hmm. he made a rare mistake that he never makes yeah i'm not saying it was a bad race just think in terms of enjoyment over a two-hour period 2017 has it in the back if we could have a race that was the craziness of the first half of 2017 and then the craziness of the second half of Sunday's race in like one Grand Prix, it, it would be too much. Oh, yeah, it would be too much. <laughs> but that's kind of our overview of the race. The only thing that remains is to do our one-sentence reviews. Yes, and we will start with the championship leaders who are still Red Bull Racing. For Red Bull Racing, I have said, Tyre Woes took away a terrific one-two. Just behind Red Bull is Mercedes. How have you described their race? I have got dark magic at work at the Silver Arrows. In third place, we have Ferrari. For the Scuderia, I have said, qualifying form let down by struggling race pace. Closely behind Ferrari is McLaren. How have you described their weekend? For McLaren, I've just put expected to see them picking up the scraps. In fifth place, we have Alpha Tauri. I've said Pierre's perfect podium leaves double points finish. Just behind Alpha Tauri is Aston Martin Racing. And I have put Seb shines as stroll rolls with tyre woes. Next, we have. Alpine F1 team. I've just said, reliability issues can't take away from Fernando's solid performance. Just behind Alpine, we come to Alfa Romeo Racing. Anonymous weekend, except Antonio's opening lap. Incredibly, in ninth place, I believe we have Haas F1 team. For Haas, I have said, 13th place for Mick pulls Haas off the bottom because that's what's happened. Which sadly means that last place in 10th 
is Williams. How have you described their weekend? I have just put George's mechanics are the team's real heroes this week. Nicholas's engineer is not. That's everything from us this week. Thank you so much for listening to our thoughts on the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We'd love to hear what you thought of the race or if you have any one-sentence reviews of any of the teams. You can let us know on Twitter, contact the show, at Friday Formula, or you can reach out to each of us individually. I'm on at Owen underscore Bellwood. And Will, you are... At Will Longman. Next week, we'll be back with another episode where we're going to talk the life and times of Nico Rosberg. So that'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate, repeat, and subscribe so you can keep up to date with all the goings on from the Friday Formula team. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a lovely week. Goodbye. Goodbye.